Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, we have to talk about ElixirConf. It is now over. We've, we're back from that. And we can actually talk about some of the cool things that happened and were announced there. So obviously, we can't talk about everything. It was a three-track conference, two days of in-person and two days of virtual. So there's a lot of really cool stuff. We have a lot to look forward to, maybe going deeper in and talking about in the future. But uh, I was happy to see, David, you asked on Twitter, hey, where is the next ElixirConf happening? So why don't you share with us what you found? Oh my gosh, I am so pumped for it. I am so excited about this because I went to the location that we're going to next already, which is the Gaylord Result in Aurora, uh, which is around Denver, Colorado, where this is where it was a couple uh, years ago. And that location was so sweet. It was so awesome. I am so looking forward a bit to taking a little mini vacation there and uh, getting to hear some cool stuff and meet up with some cool people uh, the next time that happens. I don't remember the date that it's going to happen, but I do know that it's going to be in Aurora, Colorado next year. Yeah, what I thought was really nice about that location was that the conference was right at the hotel, so you didn't have to shuttle back and forth between other locations. Lots of cool restaurants, uh, like a real cool like area. The, the the scenery was real nice. You had like fire pits, nice like landscape stuff outside. And of course, the big pools, the indoor, the outdoor, the heated, the lazy river around it all. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh, I'm just getting myself excited again. That's something you can bring family to. All right. Uh, well, speaking of ElixirConf, uh, some of the videos are starting to appear on YouTube. So we'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, it's a, a link to the conference playlist. So I presume that uh, the videos, as they come online, they'll be added to that playlist. Um, at this time, though, there's only two keynotes up, um, the one by Chris McCord and Justin Schneck, both great talks. So if you haven't seen any of those, those are there and worth uh, worth watching. The conference estimates that all of the videos will be on YouTube in about three months. Uh, three months from now. So what is that? That's about a happy new year, right? So happy new year. Maybe all the the ElixirConf videos will be up. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah, David mentioned it, but one of the videos that's already up is the Chris McCord keynote talking about Phoenix 1.6 release and recapping some of the highlights and important changes. So that one's pretty interesting to see if you're interested in a lot of of stuff happening in Phoenix and in live view. So really exciting time. So definitely recommend watching that one. Chris spent a lot of time talking about LiveView 0.17, which at the time of this recording is not yet released. And there's a lot of really neat stuff to look forward to. One of the interesting things was the on-mount callbacks when you use Live Session, which is a really neat feature for being able to redirect between the different Live Views while retaining the same web socket so it's even faster to jump around and navigate and using the on-mount callbacks lets you give a nice place to hook in and enforce authentication and force redirects and things like that in a very plug-like way. Well, the API was fixed up for that. The on-mount and live session was first released in 0.16 branch, and the API has been refined and improved. So if you've kind of been putting off upgrading to LiveView, I would totally just wait for 0.17 to land because the API is cleaned up and it's a nicer design. So that way you don't have to upgrade to live view and then fix it again for dot 17. All right. So speaking of live view, uh, one, uh, sorry, 0.17, the, the big new thing, uh, I'm totally excited about is JS commands. All right. So what, what are these? I won't go into it as de- in depth. Obviously this is the new section. Go, go listen to Chris McCord's talk first or after this to get the full depth of it. But 
JS commands. This supports pushing JavaScript events in a different way. So for example, the one that Chris McCord uses as an example is uh, the live component modal. Right, so this modal has certain actions, right? It fades in, fades out. It's dismissed. It has a, a form inside of it that can be updated. With JS commands, this doesn't have to be a, a live component anymore. You know, you can push things like transitions from your Heeks templates now. You can push transitions that are powered by JavaScript on the client side in LiveView 0.17. This enables things like immediately uh, closing elements. You can delete things out of tables now uh, more efficiently. There's really a lot there. But JS commands are going to be the big new thing in LiveView 0.17. I think this is a bold statement, but pedal, you know, Alpine is part of that. Maybe Alpine won't be a necessity anymore. <laughs> you know, that's that's going to be a tool you reach for when you need more power. But maybe you don't need it out of the box when uh, JS commands come out. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that how that works. But I think it covers a lot of the gaps that I use Alpine for. One of the cool things that was neat about this awareness in Morph DOM is that it becomes aware of transitions like you were talking about, like these fade in and fade out. Because the big problem has always been that as soon as I trigger this event from the server, the DOM elements are removed from the page so I can't fade it out because it's already gone. And this adds awareness to these timers to say, let a 250 millisecond transition happen, which can all be done by CSS to like fade things out nice and smooth. And then it will remain in the DOM until it's gone. So little things like that will just make it so, wow, it'll just sing. It'll be nice. Yeah, I had a big issue with like, a, I have an internal email server and when, when you render all the, all the emails uh, and you delete one or archive one, whatever, it's in the middle of the table. I went through some complicated, crappy, you know, systems uh, integration between Alpine and uh, LiveView to make deleting a row with a slight animation to slide away. That was so hard and it didn't need to be. <laughs> it didn't need to be so hard. So I, I am very looking forward to this. Now you can rewrite that whole thing. <laughs> and hopefully when you get to the animation part, it'll be easy. Yeah, you're right. Weeks of work later, you'll find out. That's okay, you know. Uh, uh, you know, if, uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, but I'll, I, I'm okay feeling like maybe how Sophie De Benedetto felt uh, a couple of conferences ago when she gave a talk about Live View, and they completely that. fixed everything. And her talk was just basically, "Here's how you shouldn't do it anymore." <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm okay to feel like that if it fixes my problem, so <laughs> I'll take it. Another cool thing that they talked about was slots, which is something inspired by libraries like Vue.js. So this comes from the work of Marlis on Surface, and it kind of just gives you these little placeholders in your layout components where you can insert different things. So a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipe for LiveView. Really exciting to see this happening and unfolding. Yeah, definitely you need to check out Chris's talk where he shows demos of all of that along with code samples to explain some of it. And next up was Elixir 1.13 was covered by Jose Valim in his conference talk. And the big takeaway with Elixir 1.13 is, is it's all about developer tooling. So he kept making the point that as an Elixir developer, you're probably not going to touch much of this stuff directly at all. And it's really the people who are writing the tooling who will be touching all of this. They found that they were re 
re-implementing the same code features like in IEX with doing code completion or Livebook with doing hover overs and code completion or the Elixir LS, they were doing all the same things and having to do it a little differently. So they said, okay, now it's time to just create the tooling and make it official and put it in Elixir. So these introduce modules like code.fragment and functions like container cursor to quoted, where it lets you figure out like when I'm typing my code and I have like a struct and I've started to type a field on that struct, that is invalid code, right? That won't compile as is, but these new features let you figure out what it is they're talking about and give code completion already on that that part of the code. So I'm really excited to see what kinds of new developer experience features are going to be possible from all this work. Yeah, another exciting thing is that Livebook gets its own website. It's actually a pretty slick looking website. It's sponsored by our friends over at fly.io. You've probably heard of them before on the podcast. That's where Mark works. It gives you these nice options to just launch it from Fly. I don't know, Mark, do you want to talk a little bit about that? It sounds like you might have had a little bit of a hand in that process. It was really fun. Uh, So there's this ability to run Livebook in the cloud, or they have instructions on how to run it locally with Docker or just Elixir. But when you run it in the cloud, it, it links you out to where you can launch it on Fly. So yeah, I wrote the launcher on the Fly.io website, which is a live view app, and it tracks the progress of the deploy and, and keeps you up to date and then shows you all the information about like your newly running Livebook instance. So yeah, it's it was totally fun to work on, loved it. And yeah, I, I think a, a website like this is really helpful to show other people rather than just sending them to a GitHub page where they have to kind of connect the dots of what this can do for me. This like pulls it all together and says, okay, I get it. I, I see why this is compelling. Very cool. All right. Uh, library update. There's uh, we, we talked about Mix Unused a while back ago. Well, there's a new update for it. Update 0.3 by Howlith. Uh, and it brings awareness to unused structs. So that the general uh, purpose of the library is to find unused code. Now, well, it can find unused structs. So pretty cool. And uh, Angelika Tiburska, we talked to her about uh, the Elixir exorcism track a while back ago. Uh, She shared how using Mix Unused on a big five-year-old project identified over a thousand lines of code that they were able to remove. So sounds like it works. You should definitely go check it out. And in just some general industry news, GitLab goes public. So GitHub and GitLab are the two most popular that I'm aware of code hosting websites because they also have a free tier that's geared towards open source projects. So we talked about GitHub when it was bought by Microsoft. So this is just mentioning GitLab has gone public. They've reached a $15 billion market cap, which really shoots them up there. So there's some interesting discussion about why that is. That's not Elixir specific, but I know a lot of us may have Elixir code hosted there. And I know I had used GitLab previously uh, because of their numerous DevOps features, which was a really nice tool. So just being aware that that change to GitLab has happened now. Uh, 15 billion. Can you imagine that? (laughs) I can't even fathom so much. But yes, I remember GitLab uh, being an early uh, hosting platform that uh, allowed me to have uh, CI. Uh, on there. Yep. That may have been my first YAMLs <laughs> so, was to run, to make my, uh, my app run tests uh, automatically. Anyway, good platform. Yeah. I just wanted to bring up that Chris Keithley has a number of Elixir packages that he's been the maintainer of for a long time. And in, in a move to make those 
more of a community project. He has been shifting maintenance and ownership off to others who have been involved in the project. So to quote from something that he said on Twitter, he said, you may notice that I've transferred several of my repos to Elixir Tonic. It's an amazing group of people who have offered to help with the maintenance of these projects, and that should help ensure that they stay healthy and live beyond my personal involvement. So uh, last bit of news here, and uh, today was a big mega day of news, but here's the last one, is this, that there is a, uh, a new HTTP server being written in Pure Elixir. So a little backstory, Phoenix generates with Cowboy and Ranch. A lot of Elixir applications probably use Cowboy and Ranch. Cowboy and Ranch are written in Erlang, they're very performant, and they're basically mainstays for the whole community for dealing with web apps. They're the de facto HTTP server. Cowboy is uh, the server part of it, and Ranch uh, is the connection pool manager for it. So there's a new contender on the block. Matt Trudell is leading this and has uh, introduced it, uh, at least to me, uh, at ElixirConf. So got a couple of links to it. Um, so he, he's got a new uh, library called Thousand Island. So just a little play on words there, right? Ranch. <laughs> I didn't get that before. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and the other one is Bandit. Uh <laughs> So Bandit, uh, Bandit is the HTTP server part of it. Thousand Island is the connection manager uh, pooler uh, of that. It's not ready yet, but very excited to see it as another option. It does bug me a little bit that we're, you know, that we tend to have like one option for things in the Elixir community. So I'm very happy to see that another option is coming up. And some good news, some tease is that early benchmarks claimed by Matt Trudell. So take it as you will. And benchmarks in general, take it as you will. But early benchmarks indicate that it's up to five times faster, if I remember correctly, five times faster than Cowboy in some certain situations. So, hey, if that's true, you know, when it's totally ready and can integrate with Phoenix, which, by the way, it does not yet, so don't get too excited. There's still lots of work to be done. There's no WebSocket support, for example. Even if it were just 1.2 times faster, I think that would be a great improvement, right? Because it's all we're already so good in this area. But, hey, if we can get to five times... Oh, Geez, that'd be great. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it for the news. Today, our special guest is Alfred Bowdish. Alfred, welcome to the show. Thank you. I thought this would be a fun discussion because as developers, a lot of times we have the opportunity to write blogs and you, everyone says you should have a developer blog and, and all these different reasons. And a lot of times people will say, well, you know, I want it to be super cheap. I want to just have a static site generator. That way I don't have to worry about security updates and all the things that go along with that. And so static site generators are a, a big thing. There's a lot of different solutions in a lot of different frameworks. And what I thought was interesting is you've taken a different approach to this with a new little project that you've open sourced. And I thought this would be a fun one to talk about because it's clever. And I want to hear about where this came from and what problem this is solving for you and, and who else it might be good for. But before we jump into all of that interesting stuff, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you. Like, where do you live and what kind of work are you doing? I'm from Brazil originally. And uh, I started... Uh, as a programmer when I was eight years old, like when I was a kid, because I wanted to make games and then it was too hard. So I learned C++ actually, but it was too hard. Then I started making websites and then time flies. I did a lot of things in the past more than 25 years, which is like how long I've been programming, 25, 26 years by today. And then five years ago, I, I six, Five to six years ago, I learned at Elixir to make my own startup project, which was a messaging app. 
and uh, I, I got like uh, all the, those startup things. Like I got I got money from venture capitalists. I went to a fancy office, things like that. But uh, it, it lasted only three years. Three years, and then I went I went to find a job. So what do I do now with everything like that I made from my startup? And then I found a job in Copenhagen. So I currently live in Copenhagen since 2018, where I work full-time with Elixir and the Phoenix framework. Other than that, I normally do all kinds of creative projects like 3D art, painting, uh, digital art, uh, and open source projects. I thought that was interesting that you had already created a startup, had VC funding, not all startups work out for all these sorts of different reasons. But uh, did you think that Elixir was the reason it failed? Was that why? Was it your technology choice? No, it was far from that. Actually, the startup got a lot, a lot of traction since the first, the, the first days with the, the prototype, the MVP, right? So I did basically a, a chatbot using a, an official uh, WhatsApp API. And it exploded on the next day because I got, uh, I was exposing on the news. Like I had a, a, on a very big news site. So everyone went at that. And then I needed to make that MVP into a real product, a scalable product, because the scale that I was already getting was huge. So the tech I found was uh, that article by Chris McCord that said how we scaled uh, Phoenix to 2 million connections in a single server. And I said, okay, that's it. And so the problem was I over-engineered it since the beginning. And since I got money quite easily because the product had traction, so I got an investment without struggling that much. So then... I am a technical guy. I was I am a technical guy since since I was a kid. But I had to take care of the business, the marketing, the commercial, hiring people. So I kept hiring developers and designers. And then I was over-engineering everything or, or without worrying about the other things. So that was the, the problem. The problem was management. <laughs> I, I needed a co-founder, but everything moved so fast. In a matter of three years, like I, I remade the product or not remade, but I added features for a 10-year-long roadmap. So I, I added all features in a matter of three years. And thanks to Elixir, that was possible, actually, because you can just keep adding stuff. And, okay, I have infinite scalability in a single server here. Yeah, now what? <laughs> <laughs> the main reason we asked you to come and talk with us today was about this open source project you've created. And I, I'm going to take a stab at pronouncing it as Pardal Markdown. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about how to properly pronounce this and really what is this project aiming to do? Pardo is actually means sparrow in Portuguese, which is the, the bird, right? Which is my childhood nickname that my dad called me. Even when I was 30 years old, my dad still called him Pardal. So in Portuguese, you, say, you just say Pardal, but in, in English, I, I think it's Pardal, right? So Pardal, Markdal. So that's, that's the, the way to say it. Or you could say even Sparrow, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, Pardal is is the way. Okay, so what is this project aiming to do? Like when I look at the GitHub repo, it says it is a reactive publishing framework, file system based with support for Markdown, 
nested hierarchies and instant content rebuilding. And it's written in Elixir. I read this as it's like a static site generator in some ways, but it is actually running a server. So it's not something I'm just going to throw up in an S3 bucket, right? So maybe you can kind of let people know and explain for me how this runs and how I use this. So when I say that part of Markdown is a reactive published framework, I really mean it. It means like you hit save on a Markdown file according to some setup that I'm going to explain afterward. And then the content is automatically compiled and show live in your website. So what's the difference between then Parallel Markdown and a static website generator? Because a static website generator, let's say you hit save in, in a Markdown file, right? You have to rebuild the whole content or put the, and then put it in like, as you said, in an S3 bucket or whatever, FTP or whatever. And then that's it. So if you need to change something, it will have to rebuild the whole flow and everything, have to republish it. My, the example I used and followed was Google, which I think was one of the biggest ones, right? And DocSource. So then I experimented with them, like change something, I rebuild everything, republishes. In my case, so let me first, let me try to explain my motivation. Then I go back to this reactive thing. You probably know Evernote, right? You write notes in Evernote and you have your, your repository of notes and notebooks in a hierarchy. But then I migrated from Evernote to one called Joplin, which is an open source not note thinking because I wanted to write markdown notes. Evernote saves your notes as HTML. So with Joplin, you have the same structure as Evernote, but it's open source. And then all your notes are marked down. And you can also have nested, what's called nested notebooks, which is, uh, for example, let's say you have a notebook called programming, right? Then you create another notebook inside it called Elixir. Then you create another notebook called snippets, then one below called templates, and one below called studies or documentations. And so since I deal with a lot of uh, things, not only as for work, for example, as I said in the beginning, I do a lot of creative things. I also do game development and yeah, I read uh, many different books. I like to create a lot of notes for those things that I study and a lot of clippings from websites. So, and then I keep piling up those, uh, F, uh, those Joplin markdown notes, but they are always, they are, are always private. They are always under in my computer. They even, they are even encrypted because Joplin encrypts them. And there's some, some, some things that I want to start sharing with the sharing in my own website. This is then where Google came in because in Joplin, you can just hit export, export, and then it creates, it, it puts all your, Markdown notes, even with multimedia, such as images, videos, whatever that you place it inside Markdown files. So Joplin is sporting a nice folder structure. And then, okay, let me make my own website with Google. And it worked, right? Because it's Markdown. But then, okay, I just made a time changing Joplin. Ah, okay, export all my notebooks again, rebuild with Google, publish again. And there's another thing. Uh, when you export a note, or notes with Joplin, uh, it puts the title of the your note on top of the file, separated by a blank line, and there is no metadata as you, such as you have in in, in Google you know, in other uh, Markdown builders where you can you do you know in the top of the file you can place like a kind of a metadata about the post, for example tags or dates, things like that. 
So what I want to do was when I hit save in Joplin, I want to see that save immediately in my website. That's when my mission started. And there's another thing as well. It's really hard to get uh, hierarchies right in Google. For example, I have some uh, notebooks, hierarchies, which are 10 levels nested deep. Like so, uh, <laughs> elixir snippets, snippets of that, snippets of that. So it's a very deep hierarchy. So yeah, this is what I wanted also to see in my website, just like a week format or just what exactly I have in Joplin. I want to see in my in my website. So a very nested hierarchy, content hierarchy, similar to a week, but where you can navigate all the hierarchy. So yeah, that's where my mission started. And then there's another thing. Since I've been working with Elixir since 2015, and then the, the, the company where I currently work for has uh, an Elixir product since 2016, we still use an old, an old version of Phoenix. So I still didn't have the chance, haven't had the chance to work with the live view so, so far. So Pardon Mark now came as, as a great learning opportunity for me to, to learn live view, Phoenix live view, and to solve my own pain regarding my own content. So this is what then I meant as reactive. I wanted to hit save and see on my website, but then you ask me, how does Pardon Mark Down knows there knows there's something in your computer since Pardon Mark Down is an Elixir application installed on your remote server? Then it comes to how you want to serve your content. In my case, when I have a note in Joplin, that I use another piece of software called Sync Things, which is an open source project that has like 50,000 stars in GitHub, something like that. Yeah, Sync Thing is a great project that I also use. It's a, a great tool for syncing multiple computers together where you have to authenticate the computers together and it'll just sync files across them. And you can, it's a great tool. It's for a specific use case, but I like it. Yeah. Yeah, thanks to Sync Things. I added it to my server, then I added it to my computer, and then both my computer and the server are synced together. Every time I, I, I get very excited, even today, for example, I hit save, I see it on my website uh, being broadcasted thanks to live viewing part of Markdown. But of course, this is my setup. You can use part of Markdown completely uh, regardless of using something or not. But then, of course, you, you have to have a way to sync your content folder. There's many ways. The thing is, Pardon Markdown watches for a folder outside your Elixir application. So this is also the biggest difference between your other static websites. And this is why it's called the reactive framework because it keeps watching for a folder. Okay, the change detected, the content is rebuilt, and that's it. And as I mentioned, it's extremely important to me that I have something that deals with the hierarchies or nested folders. or So these are the two uh, things I attack with part of Markdown. So reactive and hierarchies. Let me ask you about the, so your workflow is sync thing. I'm imagining now you've got a deployed app that's watching folders and it's linked up with sync thing to your local computer. And so you've got a Markdown file that you're writing. This is a new post, for example. I imagine that sync thing is like watching that as you write and save. And so I don't know about you, but I incessantly write and save like constantly. And so sync thing is probably if I had this workflow for myself, it would send that up to the production server, you know, what's actually published. And I would have a incomplete, incoherent 
reputation ruining kind of uh, <laughs> blog post up there. People are watching you as you're writing it up. It'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's plenty of ways I could ruin my reputation. Uh, I don't need sync thing to do that for me, but <laughs> yeah. So how, how do you, how do you deal with that? Or, you know, or maybe more normally if uh, folks are, are used to, you know, uh, publishing with, with Git or working with Git, if you check out branches, you know, like that sync thing would, would pick that up and start sending a bunch of changes over. Right. How do you protect yourself from those things? Yeah. First thing is uh, all posts are drafted by default and you, and you can change that as a setting. So if you hit save instant, uh, constantly and, and make embarrassing things, they are not going to be live unless you set a, a post as published, just like any other publishing platform. And then, of course, you can change this behavior with the setting in part of Markdown. Now to, to the next uh, question, like, okay, what about if you have a GitHub repository and then sync thing is like doing all this mess with branches? Then if you have a GitHub repository, maybe you don't need, need to use sync thing. You can just have a hook of GitHub pointing to, to our remote server or something like that that mirrors the, the content in the folder that's watched by Pardowark now, or you can just add this remote folder as a Git repository origin. So when you push it, it goes there to this folder. So then you don't need sync thing. But even if you do, you add a lot of files, they're not going to be picked up by Pardowark now unless they are set as published. And also there you can set a specific folder for Pardowark now to ignore parsing the files. For example, to store images and other kinds of static assets. Cool. You, you know, this has a, a little bit of a charm to it. Uh, back in the 90s, <laughs> I would use uh, WSFTP to throw my old PHP files yeah. up when it was ready. This kind of gives me that that feel again, you know, with with with, with sync thing <laughs> at least when you talk about sync thing, it's just automating that that thing. Yeah, sync. Anyway, not to say that that <laughs> that's that's all bad, but. It kind of reminds me of that that workflow I used to have long, long time ago before Git was a thing, you know? <laughs> Back when things were basic and simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but to be honest, I, I'm changing my workflow now. I'm not going to use a sync thing anymore. And I, I'm changing it as a, as a Git repository, which it has a mirror to, to a hook to mirror it to my server. So then Pardon Markdown just uh, watches for the changes that got it got from the, the repository new branch or whatever yes you're right because the, the first time I even use it uh, an SFTP while <laughs> testing part of Markdown <laughs> and it works really nicely <laughs> that's pretty cool alright so I want to uh, kind of recap some of the differences here um, in case some folks missed it so Pardal Markdown is a server-based application. It's actually an application running. You have, you know, a file watcher that is waiting for changes to these these files. And when it when it finds those changes, it's uh it finds it and it recompiles, kind of like what your watcher would be doing locally on your own system with with LiveView. When you change files locally, it automatically recompiles and shows you the latest thing. And so this is bringing that idea to production for your more static kind of content. How you get that content up there is kind of up to you. It sounds like there's lots of different ways to do that. And there's a couple of extra features in there that are different from other uh, static site generators, which is your hierarchies, having all of that like notebook style tags and, and nesting of things and how that can be reflected on a blog post, for example. Those are the two big differences here that I see from 
from other static site generators, right? So just to be clear, this is not a static site generator. <laughs> this is this is a tool that can kind of feel like a static site generator, but you still got a server running. Did I capture it? Or are those the those are the two big differences you, you said, reactive and all the hierarchies that you capture? Yes, you, you got it right. And I, I really want to emphasize that it's, as you said, it's not a static website builder. It's a framework and it's actually an Elixir library. So you can run, you can add it to any Elixir application, even if it's not a website and even if it's not a Phoenix application. Because then all the data parallel markdown watches and compiles is available for the consuming Elixir application. So using it as a website builder is just a way to consume this content. I showed this at work, for example, and they said, okay, but this is, could be like an, a really nice replacement that we, we currently have to manage translation strings because they use like a third-party platform that you have to pay a monthly fee. And then what if we manage that to like say JSON files or whatever by writing a custom part of Markdown parser because part of Markdown also supports custom parsers. And then as soon as we edit the translation strings, we could tie of course that to a Git repository as we talked a bit before. Then the application receives those strings because right now we always have to recompile the application to fetch strings from the workflow head we had, right? Because as I said, this comes from 2016. We never changed it in the current work. Then that said, okay, yeah, Pardon Markdown also works for that because it's a framework you can use for anything like that. Then of course, there are, there are many helpful features that most folks on websites. As I said, as you also said, the content hierarchies, this is super important to me. And I, I, I emphasize that a lot on the repository readme. I mentioned infinite content hierarchies, taxonomy trees and content trees, because then PyroMacDAO indexes that for you. So you can easily get the content for any level of content, right? Then part of Markdown has create links between the contents. So you know what comes after or next a certain piece of content or a certain hierarchy item or taxonomy. And then it also generates helpers for, for example, table of contents and things like that. That's, of course, more, more usable, or usable for websites. So let me ask you, how, how deep is appropriate? On, on links. How many folders should you go? Because <laughs> my, my personal notebook is com- should be completely different than published content, but like no, how, how deep, how many folders deep uh, is acceptable? Yeah, you can just go forever. <laughs> <laughs> it could become the Easter egg, right? Yeah, something buried way down. So I, what I thought was really interesting is the idea that it's a library that I could bring into another project that I already have, perhaps. Like maybe I've got a SaaS that I'm building and I want to have more of a CMS style front end to it. And you know, I haven't even gotten around to building the blog yet, but maybe I could use this and pull it in and just say, hey, if you edit markdown files and put them in the Git repo, it'll automatically be served up. So because it is live view, I imagine there's some other things that you could do because it's not just static content, right? What, what other things do you have in mind that could happen because it's a running process? So first, uh, part of Markdown is not dependent on fa- live view and it's not live view. So it's made with live view and Phoenix channels in mind, 
but it's not made with it. So you can just use that, that with a bare bones Elixir application. And then the content is going to be available in an ads table. It's, in a, it's available in an ads table. But you don't also have to talk with the ads table. You just talk with Paradox repository. And then you get uh, the content based on the hierarchies and things like that. So now going back to a question, let's say you have a Phoenix Live View website or your company website. So yeah, you can use it to create a blog, a week page, a documentation page. You could use it, let's say your company is an e-commerce company, right? You could even use a part of MarkDAO, then separate the folders wherever and have product metadata or descriptions or whatever being done by markdown files but of course that's that's a case that's not so useful because you have to manage the files the, the products in a better way but this is a possibility for example because also since a part of markdown supports elixir metadata on top of the file or any other format as long as you write a parser yeah, you can create any piece of content. So it's not only posts, but because the metadata uh, is, you can add anything to the metadata. For example, for my custom week, week website that now uses part of Markdown, which now finally solves my pain that I mentioned. I use metadata for showing post thumbnails, because as I said, Pardal is not made only for posts. But in my case, then I, I just use a metadata called thumbnail, then there is a path to, to an image. So the idea is you can use it for whatever involves piece of content. So whether it's a content to be published or by, to be used by the consuming application, such as translation strings, for example. So with this project, are you, you have it open sourced, which I think is awesome. And are you looking for contributions or involvement, or is this just a point where... You know, what stage is this at for you? Right now, the Elixir development itself is quite maturing. Uh, so I basically implemented uh, most of the features that I wanted. There's one thing of that I, I, I really need help, which is making a, a better HTML template for the demo project, right? So there is a separate repository, which is a Phoenix application, which is a, a, a a website template with a live view. So, which is my, by the way, it's the template I use for my week, but it's a very, very bare bones template. I really wanted to show something beautiful to really sell the, sell the idea of part of Markdown because I know it's, it's not what counts for the tech behind it. But of course, if you see a beautiful template, okay, this looks cool. For example, a very beautiful template is uh, a static website that has a very beautiful template. It's DocSource from Facebook. So you get, we get really sold about that because, okay, this is a <laughs> very beautiful project. But of course, the template's just uh, that it's a template, right? It's just the visuals. So yeah, I would, uh, if someone wants to help the project, you can just make like a HTML, CSS template. You don't even need to know Elixir or anything. You can just send me a bare bones HTML template. And then I can plug that into the demo project. And then we can finally build a proper website for Paranormark now to showcase everything. <laughs> but of course, uh, Elixir and Phoenix contributions are also welcome, especially for new features. Right now, there's, there are no breaking bugs. It's working nicely. There is another thing I also built it. Uh, I had a project called Dailies, which I made a piece of art per day. And then I had to make it, make it from scratch every day. 
And also, I, I like it to, to keep like diary entries to show my progress on each piece. So now I made this, I made this, I made that. And I was using a WordPress blog for that. And every time there was a separate post and uh, I had to tag it, but it's a mess. So I wanted to, to show like this piece of art and then something called project logs, just like a captain log. So with part of Archidology, I can just place a, create a folder for that piece of art and then a, a subfolder called blogs and then place the, the Markdown files that regard related to that, uh, that piece of art. And that piece of art is just a project. So it's just an, any like project, any other project you have, and then you can just categorize content below it. So <laughs> it's a quick way to organize content, no matter for personal projects or professional and website or company websites and things like that. Yeah. So it sounds like it's very versatile. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Alfred, for coming on and sharing with us the Pardal Markdown project. I think it's really cool. And I I think it's a a fun, different take on what a lot of people normally see with static site generators. And I think it's interesting, especially that it's a library with the option to pull it into other projects. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for coming on and talking with us. But that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.